Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. Welcome, welcome to Fight Performance Protest. Mark Brewer is your host, bringing you the latest in performance training from the fight community. Welcome to another episode of Fighters Performance Podcast. We're here with Mir Orni. How, how are you, bro? Good, mate. Did Good. I pronounce that right? It's Aoni, but Aoni? I've been, it's been Orni my whole life, man. Yeah, so bro. I'm, I'm accustomed to that. <laughs> You've been Orni Introducing my life. name in parties Great. is also funny. <laughs> yes, man. It's got to be an icebreaker. It is, mate. Uh, <laughs> my name is Mark Brewer, yeah. and this is Jose. So Jose DeRosha. Like they say me Orni. Like, they oh, say Orni, and then like Mir is always controversial, so I always introduce myself as the Mir cat without the ah, cat. Ah, that's it. I like that. That, that oh, tends to good. stick with people. Nice. I like how you just gelled into it and eh? yeah, like, went rolled with it. I just to go with it now. Roll with it. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, Mir works uh, from a private facility in the inner west running his own business, Ethos Performance. Has traveled the world to learn about some of the best combat sports coaches, uh, yeah, tell us about them. Who, who you worked with? Um, so I've been fortunate enough uh, to spend a lot of time with Lauren Landau. Oh, yes. So um, I guess the story where I started was um, I wanted to find out who the best combat sports coaches were, SNC coaches. And last year at a play conference, Ron McKeefrey, um, who's another well-known coach, said, Man. look, go and spend time with Lauren. So I reached out to Lauren. It wasn't easy getting a hold of him, but... Uh, what happened was I sent a resume through, he said come over and that was that. I booked my flights to America and I spent six weeks um, up in Denver, Colorado with mm. Lauren. I mean that yeah. was a great experience. He hosts um, a lot of combat athletes ranging from pure BJJ to a lot of MMA athletes. Mm. Um, guys like TJ Dillashaw, Justin Gaethje, yeah. um, Curtis Blades, Neil See. Magny. Drew Dobar. Some um, experience. You work with all these guys in there? You Through Lauren yeah. Landau and his coaches, yeah. I spent a lot awesome. of time with all those athletes. Um, I was able to observe what they were doing and ask questions and learn from what they were doing. And you've worked with Eric Crazy? Have you, you? So what happened was actually... It was a, that was, that was yeah. I follow his stuff to the team. Oh, mate, when I met Crazy, I was like... It was a, like a fanboy moment. You know, you yeah. Spend, yeah. You, spend, you spend all your years <laughs> through university like reading up on this person and taking yeah. notes and then He's he, was, he was there dude. shaking hands. Yeah. So three weeks ago, so, um, I was actually in America again this time and that was for the purposes of going to the uh, UFC performance performance Institute. Institute. Yeah. yeah so I wanted to meet the guys there and learn from them as well so I spent so, some time with Duncan French yeah who's the cool. performance or oh, well, he's yeah. the president of the performance manager, Institute yeah um, Bo Sandoval is the head SNC coach there and I spent some time with them we had like the, the who's who of UFC athletes walking through that place ah, awesome, and man. again I got a lot of chances to um speak with the dietitians there and yeah. just get ideas bounce ideas and effectively that's going to implement or yeah. Im- impact what I do here as Ron well. McKeefrey he runs Play uh, which basically unite all strength coaches around the world uh, hosting seminars and he is a sensational guy he yeah. is basically raising the bar and, and strength and conditioning around the world he's actually put me in touch with the the guys at UFC uh, Performance yeah. Institute, so I'd love to get them on at some point uh, awesome. to share well, their wealth of knowledge. Definitely, man. We know they're leading the the science and strength. strength yeah, well, they, they mean the moment, they so. mean so well, right? They mean so well for the combat world. Mm. Yeah. So you train boxers and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, guys predominantly. Um, man, at the Brazilian? moment, like there's a lot of MMA guys, mm. amateur to pro levels. Mm. Um, a lot of boxers, again, amateur to pro. BJJ. Mm. There's a fair few pure BJJ guys that I'm working with as well. Um, and there's a few 
pure Muay Thai, so K1 guys and Taekwondo as well. So it's a good range of awesome, man. You're gonna range of athletes coming through. So today we're actually gonna talk rotational strength development and fight athletes yep. with Mir. So yeah, man. Um, we'll start by, uh, yeah. Now we've talked about a bit about your experience and um, yeah, how you get, got into uh, strength and conditioning. Okay. Yeah, for so, fight um, athletes. Yeah, definitely. So I did a sports science degree at the University of Sydney. Um, once that was finished, I started, uh, well, I went in and did my level one ASCA, which is just the Australian Strength and Conditioning yeah, yeah. Association's um, course. I spent some time with Steve Adams at the New South Wales Institute of Sport, just volunteer coaching. And that kind of made me realize that I didn't really enjoy, I wasn't passionate about working with that population. With all um, athletes. With all athletes or with other athletes. And mm. I kind of sat down and really had to be honest with myself and I wanted to work with fighters. I mean, at that yeah. time, the, I mean, they were Been to the same thing. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's the sport that really, uh, that really changed me as an individual when I was a kid. And when I was trying to make it as a fighter, I didn't have the services, I guess, that I needed or the coach that I wish I did have at that time. So if people ask me what your why is, I want to be the person that I wish I had, I guess, when I was trying to be a fighter. Yeah. Um, so that, that's where my passion awesome, lies. Man. So from there, it started slow. I started working with a few amateur boxers just through affiliation. Just you've, you've experienced with uh, these sports as well. So you, you box and yeah. you do... Yeah, so initially uh, I started Muay Thai when I was 15. Um, actually at a gym in the city. I had two amateur Muay Thai fights <coughs> when I was between 15 and 16. Um, then I got into wrestling and some MMA training. I had in-house MMA competitions because I wasn't 18 when I was interested in competing. Um, and then I finished up with amateur boxing uh, through competition. I mean, now I still box for fun and I'm competing in uh, BJJ competitions. Awesome, man. Just as a hobby. Yeah, so just so people know, this guy is legit. He's actually leading some of the the workshops or uh, seminars around, around Sydney. Yeah, and in, in even, Sydney. even abroad. Not yeah, abroad not yet, yet, but that's that's the plan. Yeah, that's the goal. So, Baby steps, right? Yeah, awesome, yeah. man. So you uh, led um, a seminar, am I right, with the Swans, the yeah. Strength and Conditioning Pathways? Exactly right. So awesome, over the weekend, man. they had a good conference. Great. Cool. It was a great time. Um, so we're talking about, I want to talk about the demands of fight sports first. Like, we know these are extremely dynamic sports, and there's a lot of forces, and things acting upon these athletes so yeah. I'd like to kind of yeah, explain those forces first okay well I mean because that's what we train them for yeah definitely well to, to keep things simple I guess I mean we look at we look at forces that act on the body I mean Lauren Landau he speaks in a lot of his presentations about trunk training as four main forces <coughs> acting on the body so I guess I'm going to regurgitate his information because I agree with it in terms of building robust and resilient athletes mm. so he says that we have compressive forces distraction forces, shear forces, and then torque. And if we can expose our athletes to those forces in our environments, then when they're exposed to those forces in their sports, exactly at least they'll right, be, yeah. their body is gonna be ready for that. So the way I see, and once we get into it, rotational training or rotational strength, it's about developing resiliency, that the sport's gonna, it's, it's gonna, the athletes are gonna be exposed to that environment whether we like it or not. Mm. So we need to make them uh, resilient to those forces acting on them once they get there. Mm. Um, and we'll touch on that a little bit more once we get into the in-depth about the, uh, rotational strength. Yeah, cool. Uh, so what are the strength requirements in rotation? So we're talking about movement patterns. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when, yeah. when I, depending on the level of the athlete and their experiences as well, a lot of times you get fighters that don't have a good saturation or a good experience of weight training. Um, if you look at rugby league athletes, uh, it's kind of culture that they lift weights. It's, it's an important part of their sport. You get some MMA fighters that they're 22 years of age as a professional fighter and they've never done a deadlift before. Whereas you get some guys that do have an experience yeah, of weight training. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, it's nuts. It's the nuts. influence of strength and conditioning and yeah. fight sports is yeah. very minimal. Yeah, we've discussed this on many other podcasts that it's, it's almost like, um, you know, we spoke about tradition and uh, trying to break that yeah. tradition. A lot of these traditional uh, fight sports never had strength and conditioning. <coughs> I've Definitely thought about trying to introduce it. Like that, I, th- I think we need to progress traditions. Yeah. Not, you know, like we're never yeah. going to break, it's just like a habit, you're never going to break it but you need to replace yeah. it right yeah. we need to replace that habit with something, something well hopefully like with with you know there's emerging support for good <clears throat> snc in, in the combat sports mm. i mean the ufc pi they're trying to really like they are promote that yeah, um, there's good coaches around the world now that are doing the same thing so i think at least for mma mm-hmm. mma is really progressing well the snc and mma um guys like anthony joshua are doing the same thing for boxing i feel that's because of where the, that's where the money that's where, is 100 you know? where the money is and you want to you know you want to a step ahead of your uh, competitors so you, definitely. you need to get strong so yeah, you know, there's best, money involved right? you, need to, you need to have the best coaches right? Yeah. I mean if you think if you think of um, discussing what we were speaking about before uh, sports say like NFL where it's so specific each each role has its own coach you have a speed coach you have a yeah it's professional a, sport a linebacker coach exactly uh, whereas a fighter has you know like everything's multi-directional multi-force um, it's crazy that that it's only in the last 10 years that strength and conditioning is coming to a sport. It's, it's insane. Well, the thing Even is as well, boxing. the and thing a sport is well, that's so old as well. Absolutely. If we look at well, MMA, yeah. MMA is it's in itself, it's a relatively young sport. Yeah. I mean, the UFC really kind of revolutionized Blew the sport of up, MMA. Yeah. yeah. And UFC isn't that, that old as a sport. Mm-hmm. But we look at sports like boxing. I mean, boxing boxing is historical. So the the need for a, strength, a good strength and conditioning coach is very important. Yeah. Historically, you had the technical coach that just did everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of circuits and just hit the bag and do ladder work and do your road work. Yeah. But that, that's slowly changing as well. Mm. So we're talking about um, the general strength for our, uh, athletes, yep. right? So uh, most most people just walk through the doors and they require that general initial general strength. So. Yep. Uh, resisting flexion, extension. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if we look at general strength, I don't get too, for a lack of a better word, fancy with the development of general strength. I address all movement patterns. Um, there's obviously an assessment done on the, on the, on the foresight of that to find out what the athlete needs. Yeah. So we develop general strength in pushing and pulling directions, um, lunging, like uh, knee dominant movements, yeah. uh, teach them how to hinge. And then across the trunk, it's, you know, anti, anti-extension, flexion. So you're looking at general movement patterns. Right? Definitely, definitely. And, I mean, and that's important amongst all, all athletes. And once they have a good base or a foundation of that strength, then we can go into more specific types of strength and introduce different variations of rotational strength as well. So uh, the differences among, like, among like, fight sports? Yeah. So the, how do you cater for different sports and... and yeah, well, what are the technical differences? Definitely. There? So there's obviously with, with boxers, for example, you need to be sensitive to how much upper body pushing volume you add to their program. Um, and it's the same with like med ball rotational work. Um, Eric Cressy talks a lot about balancing the volume and the loads from heavy rotational work in season with baseball players, for example. Yeah. So if I'm a boxer and I'm doing a lot of heavy bag work that week, I need to be sensitive to how much work I do with med balls against the wall aggressively with my elbows up in the sky. 
because my shoulders and my elbows are going to be beat up from that load. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at judo athletes or BJJ athletes, if I have a K1 kickboxer and a black belt BJJ athlete come into the gym and do a rotational med ball exercise, I'd bet my money that the kickboxer would be better. They're better at that coordination of lower body to upper body forces. Most different. Because they're gonna get a lot of exposure to that movement naturally through their sport. So it's important to understand what your athletes are gonna be good at naturally and what they're not gonna be good at. We look at absolute and relative strength. A grappler is gonna naturally be stronger than a boxer. Because every time there's an engagement in boxing, the ref will break it up. Grappling by nature, if you look at the the time of a bout, most of the time is spent in contact with another opponent. You're holding that person. Mm. You're resisting that person. You're throwing that person around. So there's going to be more requirement for relative and absolute strength in grapplers than in boxers or in kickboxers. Talking about going back to rotation and and what you're uh, training in rotation. So after you build a base, like where are we applying these forces and why? Definitely. So when, when I'm addressing, I guess, rotation or I want to develop that rotational strength, I'll initially develop general levels of strength like we discussed. And then at low velocity, so at low speeds, you develop the ability for them to control. So I'll get them to resist rotation in a held position. So it would be like a pal-off exercise for that, for that, for that quality. From then would we'll go to chops and lifts for tempo and for them to start producing rotation under control. Once they look good there, we can start doing med ball, higher speed rotational work, again, under tempo. Once they get good there, we can start adding in more high velocity ballistic exercises. And I think it's also important to differentiate between ballistic and plyometric, because people kind of get confused sometimes. So if we look at a, a jump over a hurdle onto another jump onto a hurdle, that's a plyometric exercise. If I'm doing a scoop toss, So the ball's on the outside of my hip and I'm aggressively throwing it into a wall, that's a ballistic exercise. A plyometric exercise, it utilizes the stretch shortening cycle. So the elastic qualities of our muscles and our tendons. If we're looking at a ballistic exercise, the point of it is for me to accelerate when I naturally am supposed to or when I do naturally decelerate. So I wanna accelerate all the way throughout the movement. If we look at fighting, that happens a lot of the time. So we need to do it in training as well when the time is right. And how much of that is actually developing movement pattern? That's a great question. Um, Cal Dietz, he's got a great quote. I'm not going to say it word for word because I can't remember. But if whether it's strength, speed, or the sport, so essentially what we're doing in the gym and what they're doing on the field or in the cage, it's a skill. And here is when the whole thing of like specificity and sport specifics yeah. I gets... I want to find that line here. Mm-hmm. Like, be, yeah. like that's when you can kind of butcher it a little bit, right? I mean... For, for someone to get good at something, they need to be saturated, right? If I'm changing things every week in the, in the, in the name of sports specificity, my guys aren't going to adapt. So again, I'll quote a, a quote from Lauren Landau. He says, we, we need to give our athletes doses of venom to make them tolerant to snake bite. And I love that saying. I love that. Mm-hmm. I yeah, love that saying. <laughs> we need to make guys resilient, but we need to give them a little bit of the venom for them to become resilient. The thing is though, I need to saturate them. So I'll select a handful of exercises and I'll make my guys really good at those exercises Mm. instead of throwing 20 exercises at them and never actually developing proficiency. Uh Especially with the base foundation you're building, what's the importance of developing, you know, your flexibility and stability through range of motion first. So 
you know, those things are quite commonly talked about by the fighter. You know, everybody's out to go to yoga class and, and develop some yeah. flexibility. So, or, I mean, I was actually listening to a podcast by Quinn Hennock on the way here, um, talking about the same topic. So, the, the way I see it, I don't spend a lot of time doing static stretching, so to say. Um, I'm more a fan of loaded stretching. So, I, I feel like resistance training in itself will progressively promote more mobility in an athlete. So, if I get an athlete to do a front foot elevated split squat, for example, mm. and I get them to do a tempo of five seconds on the way down and five seconds on the way up, just body weight, for me, that's going to have good improvements in their mobility over time. Um, so the way I see it is resist- resistance training itself over time will improve their mobility. And then you have your more corrective, for a lack of a better word, or accessory exercises that you can start using in a program, depending on what the fighter needs as well. Mm. Um, going back to what we said about rotational strength, it's, um, it's, it's in terms of resiliency, when you look at a sport and look at injuries, injuries will happen when an athlete wasn't ready for the task at that time. They weren't prepared. And Eric Cressy says, in a, in a rotational world, you can't be a sagittal beast. <laughs> yeah. Right? So if I'm looking at a, a combat <laughs> sport good. athlete, we can't just address things in one plane of motion. I mean, the sport is rotational in nature. I look at hip escapes. I look at a toss in judo. I look at a high crotch takedown in wrestling. I look at a straight arm or a straight punch finish or a high kick. It's, it's rotational in nature. So I need to first make them resilient in rotation, and then I need to make them produce that rotation from low to high speeds. Mm. That's cool, man. So just <clears throat> like... I mean, and all of these, like, it's just, yeah, you put it really well there. Like, I, I like uh, Eric Cressy's uh, point of view. It's on a that. great quote. Yeah. I really like yeah, that it's quote. It's awesome. So you're throwing some good quotes out here. <laughs> hey. Love this. Do you um, do you ever find, um, obviously, when you're doing uh, when you're training for um, for strength and you're doing your sagittal work, like your deadlifts and your squats and all that? Yeah. Um, at the level that these athletes are, uh, do you, do you find that that sagittal work impacts their rotational style? How so? In a positive or a negative, a negative way? way. Um, never in a negative way. Never in a negative way. Um, the, yeah, even some powerlifters do the rotational stuff. Of course, more, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's for it's <clears throat> a it's for injury resilience, um, and it's to, to address a movement pattern that we need to. If we're looking at efficiency of transferring forces, mm-hmm. which is what rotational, yep. I guess, strength is really. I need to be able to transfer a force from the lower body across a stable trunk through the upper body Mm -hmm. or just have it coming from the lower body across my hips and Mm -hmm. the trunk if I'm looking at a kick, right? If I don't address this in training, yes, they get it through their sport. But like I said, you get a lot of times where combat athletes aren't efficient in transferring forces. So I need to make them more efficient in the kinetic chain Mm -hmm. and the ability for them to have the motor control and the coordination to be able to link movements and transfer forces. What, what kind of uh, what kind of testing do you do for this kind of stuff? Like- so it's it's tricky. It's tricky. I know what the at the UFCPI they're looking at like uh, landmine press uh, rotational exercises, the push band. So it's just an accelerometer. You can there's a free movement feature where mm-hmm. you can record a rotational exercise. Yep. Um, but for me, it's more so you can see it when you mm-hmm. when you see good movement. It's 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 something nice to look yep. at when you see good rotation at the hip and good hip extension into the wall. It's it's nice to see. You can uh-huh. hear the sounds. It looks good, um, and it's vice versa when it's not like that. So in terms of quantifying rotational strength, it's a tricky one at the moment. It's not as mm-hmm. easy as you know testing someone's counter movement jump push band is a big uh, because i've got a push band i use it for some athletes it's a tool it's a tool and we're we're mechanics right we're mechanics and it's a tool in our toolbox Mm -hmm. yeah 
I, I love to demonstrate the numbers of it all and loving it. So I'd love to get your tips and uh, tricks for utilizing that. In definitely, your as definitely. Well. Time and a place for That's it for awesome, sure. Man. Tools of preference. Like, well, what kind of tools do you use around the gym to really get the job done? Um, here? So, building a base, what? Tools as in equipment? Yeah, equipment. Man, exactly. like, I mean, I'm not gonna spend too much time. It's just the basics, the basic yeah. things, you know, good barbells. You know, there's all this, there's all this focus on what's called, what people call functional equipment. You know, yeah. everyone's yeah. coming up with the latest mm. piece of equipment. You're looking at Instagram, it's like, hey, it's gotta be, uh, real freaking weird yeah <laughs> it's got to be out of the norm and the to be is, functional it's it's not that right definitely so that's what i'm getting at um um and with us with with a sport that's kind of <laughs> i guess what does a professional use to to create rotations all these well you can't go past you know a good cable system to do anti-rotational work we get a lot of anti-rotational qualities through weight training naturally if yeah. i get someone doing a reverse lunge but they what they hold the weight on the opposite side of the leg that's going down, that's anti-rotational. Yeah. Um, but then you need good med balls. That's definitely one thing to have. You need different sizes of med balls. Um, I feel like at times people go too heavy on their med ball exercises um, in terms of using balls that are too heavy. We want to get velocity. We want to get yeah. speed. So I've got guys that are, you know, Tyson Pedro is almost 90, 98, 100 kilos at times and he's using a eight pound med ball with yeah. some exercises. I was say six, yeah. And, you know, six to eight pound med ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes I'm using four or you know two like two pound med balls at times believe yeah. it or not especially when you're trying to teach the movement or just teach the tempo of the movement mm. um, you do need smaller balls as well especially if you're doing single arm exercises like a single arm shot put um, against the wall etc I like small sandbags so the <coughs> sandbell bags uh, the reason I like those is a lot of times if you're trying to get a, a really good like strong acceleration into the wall and you tell the athlete to be aggressive if they're throwing a one, like a one or three pound ball into the wall, it's gonna come back at them. Mm. So they're gonna they're gonna anticipate that. They're not gonna actually throw it as hard as they can because they're gonna be ready to catch it off the wall. Mm. So I think sandbags have a good place for that as well. Cool. Yeah. Um, those are some tools, but the tools aren't the the. It's nothing it's not really sexy. It's not the tool, but how you use it. Yeah, it's not nothing too sexy, you know. Like yeah. just I'm more yeah. for simple things done really <laughs> yeah. well, right? Um, just to touch on like the whole tools that I use, I think. Uh, coming into the term of specificity right like being careful with what you do and what you add load to yeah. so if I look at combat sports sometimes I'll see people doing like a punching exercise but they're, they're doing it in a way that's confusing the athlete in terms of what's sport specific and what they're doing in training so my job isn't to teach these guys how to kick or punch or take down they have coaches that address that my goal is to develop general qualities and assist them in their physical preparation. That's that's what, we're, we're the mechanics, right? So we're, we're, it's like if you use the analogy of um, a car that's coming off the grid and it needs to get its tires replaced and the oil checked, and then they go back on the road. So we're the guys that do that. We change the oils, we make them feel good again, we get everything ready, and then the most important thing ultimately is their technical training. So mm. we need to keep them healthy for that. Yeah, cool. Mm. I, th I think. Uh Specificity is somewhere where a lot of coaches, they're just going for that top, you know, they're just trying to be as specific, they're trying to be a coach at the end of the day, like yeah. a technical coach and, yeah. and coach too far into the technique where... So my problem, my, I see a problem when we, when you start to add load to a very specific fighting movement, which I think is not necessary. If we develop efficiency in their transference of forces, so making them more efficient in the kinetic sequencing of things, 
then the idea is that they'll transfer that naturally over the over to the sport. I mean, the whole theory of dynamic correspondence comes into play. That's when it comes into play. Totally. So we need to be careful with what we add load to. I'm not going to add a, a band to someone's leg and say, kick the bag hard because that's going to make your kicks faster and harder. It, it doesn't work that way. I mean, we all know that, right? <laughs> but unfortunately, things get butchered a little bit on social media. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, even... Yeah, looking, you know, even if you don't know the context, there's something wrong with that. Yeah. Mia, what, what do you think, um, like we mentioned it earlier, that, um, like, say MMA, um, I, I like to speak about MMA just because it's growing so fast. Well, it's the it's, fastest and, growing one, right? And it's uh, and there's so much money involved now, especially with UFC. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, you know, millionaire fighters now, which I reckon Which is crazy, ago, and it's, an, it's a young money. sport. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you think, and we've asked a, a lot of other people on, on these podcasts, like... You're, you're in the industry, you're training professional fighters. Like, where do you see your role, what you do, in, say, another 10 years? Like, with more money involved, more backing, more support, what, what do you think? Well, I mean, it's it's evident in, for example, the the UFC's, let's just use the example because it's, it's very widespread, uh-huh. the UFC Performance Institute. Yep. So they have a full-time strength and conditioning staff. They have a full-time dietetic staff. Okay. They have exercise and sports sciences. They've got physical therapists on site. I see similar locations like that possibly in the future mm-hmm. expanding worldwide as the sport expands with different organizations yeah. as well. But more so, I think eventually, and I'm confident that technical coaches will understand the importance of having a good strength mm-hmm. and conditioning coach. A lot of camps now, and what I mean by camps is like a fight team, they have a strong affiliation with a good strength and conditioning coach. So I know, for example, um, Corey Peacock works with some of the fighters up in... Um, Fort Lauderdale, Lauren Lando works with a lot of the guys at Team Elevation. Um, you've got the guys at American Top Team. They have Phil Dyer that they work with. So you're seeing fight teams utilizing good coaches mm-hmm. and evaluating good coaches. Mm-hmm. I think historically that wasn't the case. Yeah. And that will transfer into results. So when Exactly, and it's happening, yeah. right? Um, and the good thing about, about what's happening now is you see the athletes themselves buying into the process mm-hmm. and promoting it themselves. Um, you've got Forrest Griffin, who's kind of like the athlete manager at the Performance Institute. Forrest yeah. is a previous world champion, UFC Hall of Famer. <clears throat> when he's telling you that he wishes he had those services, yeah, as a current fighter, you listen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you listen. You're like, okay, well, I, I want to see what it's about. Mm-hmm. And I think progressively, it's going to keep improving. So that that's, I mean, that that's wholeheartedly why I wanted to work with more fighters because I saw an area, especially in, I mean, in, in, in Australia and in Sydney that there were a lot of fighters that needed it that weren't getting it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be that person. Well, that's good. And I think in, in the next few years, we're going to see a lot, a lot more Australians uh, 100%. fighting at the top level. Yeah. Well, look how many events have been in Australia mm-hmm. in the last year and a half. Yeah. We had UFC Sydney, we had mm-hmm. Perth, there's Adelaide this year as well. So it's going to keep growing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, look, China's our neighbor, and you know, the UFC in China is booming as mm-hmm. well. One championship is there now. Bellator's doing great. So the sport is not going to sleep for sure. The, the sport's going to keep growing. Uh, that's good. It's really it's exciting times. So back to using rotation, like um, cardio is always on people's minds. So I want to know where and why you use. Uh, rotation and people's cardiovascular okay. training. Yeah, definitely. So um, the it's especially earlier on, but even at most stages, doing like a, a med ball scoop task, for example, it's a cognitive task. And by that, what I mean is you need to think about what you're doing because effectively you need to absorb a force and then reproduce a force. And to do that, there's a cognitive element to it. So you need to be thinking about it. 
I think it's important in conditioning for fighters at least and what I do with my guys and what I've seen done around the world is exposing the athlete to a cognitive task when they're fatigued because ultimately when they're competing and you know how it is when you're tired when you're sparring the first thing you forget is the skill so fatigue masks your fitness right so I like fitting it in in chunks at the in-between rests on conditioning sessions or if I'm doing a a cross-training type session I'll have chunks of it throughout that session as well Mm. Um, closer to fights so if things are going from more general to specific we've got a wall at the gym as well where it's it's numbered and lettered so it'll say one two there's a b or c there and I'll have the athlete stand in front of the wall and they'll react to the call that I make so I'll say one b three c D and they have to respond. Well, that's somewhat agility, right? Like agility, right? That's the that's the reactive component yeah, reactive or the cognitive component, component yeah. of agility mm-hmm. at play. So there's definitely a place for it in conditioning. Um, I would just err on the lower side of how many reps I do. Um, I'm not gonna have a guy in front of a wall doing 60 scoop tosses because then you're just you're gonna look doing at a cluster. degrading you're gonna look at a degrading movement, right? So that that's the way I implement it into my cardio. If we're talking about how I implement it as well, I really like med ball work, especially if they haven't done it, I mean, a lot, a lot of it. I'll do it earlier on in the session, just mm. in terms of when they're more ready and when they're more responsive to a new exercise. It's a skill, right? Yeah. So I like it as a primer, um, and I'll prime with med ball exercises year round. So what I mean by a primer is using it to just stimulate the athlete before we actually start the session. So we'll do our general warm-up, our dynamic warm-up, so to say, and then we'll do a set of five on each side or two sets of five on each side, for example, of a scoop toss or a shot put into the wall. So it's just getting the athlete primed, but at the same time, I'm getting them saturated to the skill before we get into the session. Exactly. Um, other ways I like to use, I mean, just using med ball exercises at the moment is pairing it with upper body exercises or upper body pulling exercises. Yeah, awesome. So I guess like a contrast. Um, and I mean, I've, I've also implemented it like an A1 is my squat and A2 during their rest period is just to get one set of six scoop tosses on each side. Yeah, it's so not gonna impact their squat at all. And if anything, it just gets me again, saturating them to the skill to the movement priming priming the movement exactly the more I can expose it to them at good qualities the better they're going to get at it good yeah priming their body to recruit Mm -hmm. more fibers and and definitely definitely it's 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 um it's motor unit recruitment right but it's also coordination if they don't practice it enough how the hell are they going to get better at it yeah uh just just quick how how would you um how would you implement any form of like periodization with your stuff that's not going to impact their skill stuff like say for example you know that uh, these guys are going to be doing some sparring and definitely some, and you know they you know they need to be working and you don't want to fatigue them before that. How, do you, how do you how do you kind of uh, uh periodize that so you, you, you can implement your cardio and your conditioning but without it impacting there that's an awesome question um that's actually what i presented on over the weekend because um i, w- I won't sidetrack too much because i know we're talking ah. about rotation ah. but because combat Let's sports ahead, it's it's acyclical in nature right so we, and I say we as in the coaching staff and the athlete, we don't know who we're going to fight and exactly when we're going to fight them. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're not a contracted fighter. And yeah. even then, if you're just coming up in the ranks as a UFC athlete and you get a call that says, hey, guy that's in the top 10 needs a backup fighter, you're going to take it. You're going to take that opportunity. So ultimately, what happens? You call the strength coach and you say, hey coach, um, just letting you know, I'm fighting in a week. So 
that's the whole thing that I drew with my athletes is being ready year round. Mm-hmm. You're not a fight camp athlete in mm-hmm. terms of fight gets announced, that's when we start getting ready. We need to have those general qualities kind of cycling year round. So when a fight does get announced, we can then transfer or peak mm-hmm. into the event. Um, back to what you were saying directly, it's important to, to actually sit with the technical coaches and build relationships. Mm-hmm. There has to be a team, a team yeah. factor there. So one of the first things I do is I'll first of all go and watch the athletes spar, and I'll watch the intensities at which they spar because different gyms spar differently. You have some gyms that are on the safer side of sparring; they wear headgears all the time, which you know can also be controversial. Um, or the sparring is more like lower body, no head kicks, no knees. Then you go to other gyms, and these guys are absolutely killing each other. So I need to know what the loads are like when they're sparring mm-hmm. that way I can kind of go okay I know that my athlete James on a Monday night doesn't have a hard sparring session they do some technical Muay Thai and a Jiu Jitsu class I know that Tuesday nights these guys get after it mm-hmm. so what's my benefit on a Tuesday morning to absolutely flog them in terms of a conditioning session yeah. I wouldn't do that or what's my benefit on a Wednesday morning more so to flog them they're going to be beat up anyway mm-hmm. so I need to stage my, my training sessions around that especially when a fight's coming up. If we look at general to specificity, if a fight's coming up, they're gonna be sparring more. They're gonna be doing more contact work because things need to go from more general to specific. Mm -hmm. If they're a higher level athlete, they're gonna be analyzing their opponents and kind of solidifying a game plan for that opponent, right? You can watch tapes and you can see where their weaknesses are and you can act on those weaknesses as well. So A, sit down with the coaches, see what the timetable is like and what the athletes technical loads are like throughout the week that gives you a better idea of what you can do and when you should do it and then thirdly you need to be honest and at least identify some periods in the year that the athlete intends on competing that way you can I guess in terms of periodization and peaking go okay it's January now we've identified that he wants to have three fights this year three major fights I'm going to disregard things like smaller BJJ events or like an in-house tournament or Mm -hmm. a fundraiser fight looking at major fights the athlete says I'm going to go March August and December at least now when I'm getting my framework ready or my annual plan I can kind of get an idea that on those during those months we need to be ready Mm -hmm. we definitely need to be ready if you have a fighter or if you are a fighter and you're not ready year round, that comes in terms of nutrition and physical preparation, you're screwed. You need to treat yourself like a professional athlete. We look at team sport athletes that have pre-seasons, in-seasons, off-seasons for a reason. They need to develop qualities before they compete. Why, why does a fighter have to be different? Mm, and that yeah. comes down to education. If you're overweight when you're not competing and suddenly you get a fight announced and you spend most of your time cutting weight, are you actually improving performance or are you managing weight? And that's what I learned at the Performance Institute as well. That's one of the first conversations they'll have with an athlete. Are you within 10% of your fight, okay, weight? fight weight? So if I'm, if I'm a welterweight fighter, so I need to weigh in at 77 kilos. We're talking MMA right now. And if I'm 84 kilos, that's okay. That's 10%. If I'm 88 kilos and it's 12 weeks out, well, now I question, look, we have to, we have to cut a lot of weight. That's, that's almost 10 kilos that we need to get off you in 12 yeah. weeks. That's a big weight cut. And you know that's a big weight cut. So in that time, are we actually going to influence performance? It's, it, it's an argument that's worth mm. making. So I tell the guys that you need to be at a certain weight year-round. And that comes down to discipline and being honest about are you a professional athlete or are you just going to be uh, getting ready when the fight gets announced? Mm. 
So having that conversation, I've had a good response from the guys and they're all being a bit more professional in their responses. It's good, man. So, I like how you set them down. I like that. It's good. It's, there has to be a level of accountability. I mean, you're a coach. I like yeah, so that, that, that covers your role. Like, oh, sorry, I, I went a little bit overboard sorry. with the periodization. Jose asked a great question, <laughs> we, we and I get this, fired up. That's what we're about. I get fired getting up. that information out there. I love it, man. I love your passion for what oh, you do. Thank you. Thank you. I love your passion for what you know you're sharing here, and this is what we want to well, hear. It's transparency. There are no like, secrets, exactly, right? Exactly, man. There are no secrets. It's a complicated equation, though. It and is. It's complicated, but like, if you look at my program mm, from an outside perspective, mm. it, there's chunks of lots of information. We, we, no one's reinventing the wheel, right? Yeah. Like, we're all just uh, where it's our interpretation of information. Exactly. So we're all doing things chopped and changed from. Everyone has mentors. Everyone has their own influences. So my program is a mold of the people that have influenced me. Um, and, and so far things are going well you've got some great mentors there man I have to say I can they, never speak highly enough of the guys that have man, influenced me in this yeah, industry and it's amazing man I'm lucky to be surrounded by such good people mm. but just going back to periodization and stuff yeah. let's, let's build on that like uh, peaking like peaking for your competition you said you've, you've got them ready they stay ready all year round so they've got okay. a competition how, how do you look at peaking for that event yeah definitely so let's say we look at barbell sports right if we're peaking for a barbell sport I won't sidetrack too much but you've got periods where volume is higher and intensity is lower right we just look at block periodization then progressively as the sport gets closer or the event gets closer volume will progressively decrease intensity will go higher and the specificity of the sport becomes more important Ultimately, if I'm a powerlifter and my sport is my deadlift, there's no point in me doing Smith machine hip thrusts the week of my competition. So that's just a, a, a broad picture of, um, of, a, of a peak. So let's look at fighting. During the fight camp, what, I mean, I hate the word fight camp because it implies that that's, that's the only period you need to be ready. So let's call it fight preparation. During fight preparation, let's say I have eight weeks. So it's eight weeks out of fight. Normally, what I notice is that the technical demand of training increases. It becomes more important, and that just makes sense. They're about to compete. They need to be doing or spending more time on becoming a better fighter. Ultimately, that's the most important thing. So the way that, that adapts my training is I go, I go from more of like a block or linear periodization model, um, and a lot of the coaches that I've spent time with in, incorporate a similar a method is going to an undulating type. That way things are a bit more adaptable and ultimately adapting to the athlete is going to be very important during fight week. I'll give you a perfect example. So I was working with, I still am, but I'm going to give an example of George Cambosis. We're working together on a fight and it was a Wednesday morning and we had our big conditioning session and we had things planned and it looked great on paper. I had all my heart rate targets. I had my push band, everything was ready to go and George comes in and if you've ever spent time with George, he's not one to look tired and he's always ready to go. He's, 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 a, he's a hard-working guy. But he came in and I just saw on his face that he looked a little bit zapped of energy. And I had to have the honest conversation with him. I said, George, how do you feel? Like, did you spar last night? And he wasn't supposed to, but he said, yeah, look, I got called up and went to a sparring session and I did 15 rounds. <laughs> so that's me like on the go I'm like okay shit I need to I need to change this session like wh- what do I benefit by flogging him right now there's not there's no benefit so I changed the session on the fly we did an active recovery type session went through some mobility drills opened up a breathing app we spent five minutes meditating at the end of the session so that's an example of why an undulating model works wor- works well during that phase of peaking as well because you need to be able to adapt to the demands of the sport 
I'm not going to tell the athlete, you can't spar on Tuesday night because I have conditioning plan on Wednesday. It happens more than you think, though. Like, athletes come in and they'll be like, oh, I've got this niggle, you know? Oh, yeah. man, this... you look at combat, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so with peaking, nonetheless, as the event gets closer, especially because we're in a weight categorized sport, mm. I need to keep volume down. Nonetheless, they're going to be cutting some weight. So I don't want to make them excessively sore on top of what they're already doing. So volume on accessory exercises and compound exercises come down as well. I keep intensity high, not always necessarily through how heavy they're lifting, but through the rate of the force that's developed. So we look at the differences of rate of force development and force development. Earlier on in those weeks, I might look at more force development, right? So higher intensity through loads. The closer I get to the event with the athletes, I like to get more speed work in, uh, more jumps in, and if they're heavier guys, you also got to be careful with the loading through jumps yes, yeah. and what have you as well. But essentially, it's the closer I get to fight, volume comes down, intensity goes up, and you can keep intensity very well through things like rotational exercises. If I look at a um, ballistic scoop toss into a wall, that's a great central nervous system exercise. Yeah. It's low load. There's not a lot of eccentric stress on the body. There's actually none. They need to absorb a little bit of force, but when they're throwing the ball into the wall, it's all concentric. So that's another great way to incorporate intensity, getting closer to the fight for the purposes of what we're talking about today. Interesting. Awesome. Love it. I love the insight, man. You've given us great detail and doing my the best. fighters out there, man. Doing my best. I love this. Uh, you said you, you train um, uh, Tyson Pedro, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So initially when I started this podcast, I, I contacted him. He totally blanked my message. So okay. That See, out. like, you're a fighter. <laughs> does he, yeah, does yeah, he yeah. even... Like, I've trained with him a couple of times at Eagle MMA, right? Okay, so yeah. yeah I've wrestled him a couple of times. So I was like, hey, bro, you want to jump on this podcast? It's going to be launching soon. And, you know, we'd love to have you on. Yeah. Talk about such a topic. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just wonder if he actually runs his own social media or what. Like, man, a lot of these yeah. athletes, I promise you, do not like social media. Yeah, they hate. Uh, I'm hate not it. speaking on Tyson's They're behalf. Probably I'm speaking on a lot of athletes yeah. I've spoken to. But the thing is, social media now is the name of the game, yeah. and the, uh, more often than not, they have they have social media managers. Yeah, because sure. they don't they don't have time to be dealing with this stuff. They need to be training. Yeah. So it probably wasn't him that totally put you up. It yeah, probably just yeah. went blank. Yeah, um, oh, I, I maybe, believe it. Because Tyson's a great guy. Maybe, maybe hates me. No, maybe. Maybe, he's better. maybe you dropped him on his maybe head. Just, on <laughs> hey, yeah, quite <laughs> possibly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> quite possibly. We won't drop it him on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, <laughs> cut, out, cut out. But now Tyson's yeah. a great guy. He's and, a good um, guy, man. He's a legend. He's, he's young in the sport too. He's young in the sport too. So he's gonna do. He's got a big future. Yeah, definitely for sure, man. I think he's. I think he is, or is one of the lightest light heavyweights in the UFC at the moment. So. There's, there's, Is there an opportunity for him to drop down a weight category? Um, no, I think he's. he's I think he's. Solid. He's yeah. good at. He's he's good at light heavyweight. Okay. <clears throat> he's not a small light heavyweight at all by any means. He's an exciting fighter. Very unfortunate in his last fight, but. Look, man, man, he, he was he, on top of it. He <laughs> went up against he went up against the great opponent. Yeah. OSP is yeah, no joke. Very, went the distance very with John Jones, man. And Tyson was doing very well. He stuck to his game plan, and unfortunately, in combat sports, it takes a split second to end up in a wrong position, and that's what happened on the night. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, just one last topic, like um, injury prevention, and I, I feel like rotation is a lot about that because we're preparing the athlete for uh, definitely, you know, for their movement, <coughs> which is. Predominantly rotation, yeah. right? So, yeah. so just touch on that. Last thing I guess we're going to touch we'll on that conclusion. is developing resiliency through rotational strength, but also being careful that you don't promote injury 
through rotational work. Overloading. Uh, overloading and if exposing them to something that they're not ready for. Mm. So if someone, for example, if they're a BJJ athlete or a grappling athlete, if you look at the positions in wrestling, it's very flexion-based, right? Yeah. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu is the same thing. So you get a lot of lower back pain in Jiu-Jitsu athletes and in some wrestlers. I'm going to talk on my experiences. So it's anecdotal. If, if they're not resilient in resisting rotation yet, and it's day one, off the go, you make them do a high speed rotational exercise, they can pull up with, I guess, pain for lack of a better word. So it's just, it's knowing when to incorporate things at the right time. That's why I like to go from a resisting rotation initially in half kneeling, tall kneeling, static yeah. positions. So we've obviously got progression throughout. Exactly, so I'm gonna yeah, go through a quick ladder. rotational field, yeah. right? Right, cool. so we'll go awesome, man. Do static, it. static holds in static positions. That way it's a controlled environment, right? It's easy for them to be focused on what needs to be done. Progress the positions of stability. So a simple example would be going from half kneeling to, to standing or split stance. Then go through low tempo chops and lifts. So getting them to produce the rotation, but with a controlled speed. Then it's getting that through a faster speed, incorporating a ballistic med ball exercise under tempo. That way they can just focus on getting the movements right and then progressing that to a full speed movement from there, you can start playing around with pairing exercises or chunking exercises like a, a counter movement jump into a shot put or what have you. In terms of injury prevention, we all know that you can't prevent injuries, but you can make them best prepared to not become injured. Mm -hmm. So the way I see it is that if I can make my guys resilient in accepting forces and then producing forces in return, well, you need to be able to absorb a force exactly. before you can produce it. Exactly, right? You know, just, so, think, people think, just this is a common example, but people think plyometrics is all about, hey, let's get a box, let's jump on top of it. You know, whereas there's a lot more to it. Like, before you can jump on a box or jump off a box, you got to be uh, be able to absorb force, right? Like, exactly right. You need to know how to land. <clears throat> Right, people yeah. do a box jump, and then they, and when you watch them jump off the box, yeah. they look like Bambi. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So how can you? How can Bambi produce force? You know. <laughs> you, need to learn, you need to know how to accept it first. Yeah. Ultimately, that's right. So yeah. one of the first things I do with all my athletes is just like a a kind of movement prep jump, where they know how to get up on their toes yeah. and then catch the landing. Exactly. That's right? what I'm getting at. Yeah. Exactly right. Let's give our audience a bit of a like some basic exercise they can do in yeah. the gym or on the mat. Okay. That they can do without equipment, like you know, give us give us five <coughs> exercises that they could do to really develop a strong base to prepare themselves for rotation. Definitely. So you can do them in different positions as well. So let's just say we've got a band. We can go into a half milling position. So one knee is up, my other leg is down on the floor. So I'm in like a 90-90 position, 90 degrees on the front leg, 90 degrees on the back leg. The band is to the left-hand side of my body or whichever side of my body because you can change the stance. Mm -hmm. I pull the band out so it's in front of my shoulders and effectively what I'm doing there is if I'm resisting the rotation of the band. Just a simple exercise. Nothing new. It's been done in the past. Paloff, Paloff. Uh, Paloff hold, right? Variation, yeah. Paloff variations. There's a hundred variations of the exercise. <laughs> yeah. So pick the one that works and get really good at it. That's one variation in a half kneeling position. You can look that one up on YouTube, right? Paloff press. Mm -hmm. Paloff, yeah. Paloff press, paloff hold, uh, paloff yeah. hold with upward lift. There are so many variations. Let's move to the second one. Um, we can get someone in like a crawling position, so a quadruped position. Yeah. And they can do just a, a quadruped shoulder tap. So the second one hand is off the floor, there's a rotational element to the exercise. Um, I like incorporating that with like a plate drag and a few variations from there. Then we can move to, let's say, the fancy stuff and the sexy stuff, 
we'll look at med ball exercises. One of the first ones I like to go to is just a squared stance, so my toes are facing the wall, um, a wall ball med ball, and I'm gonna drop my hips and then throw it into the wall. So from there you can look at how they load their hips, how well they change levels, and how well they can apply hip extension and rotation into the wall. Um, a, single, a single arm option would be standing side onto the wall, so I'm facing the opposite direction, and I'm doing a single arm crossover med ball punch or shot put into the wall. And you can add so many variations to there. You can do footwork variations. You can have them facing the front of the wall, so the wall is behind them, and make them open up and then rotate into the wall. So just adding a, a mm. motor coordination mm. task um, and then getting them to switch hips as well. So there, there, are, there are four simple exercises, I guess going from simple to more advanced, advanced progressions. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the progressions are limitless, but I'd say pick two or three from each bracket and then get really good at them before you try and implement the sexiest thing you've seen on social media. Because <laughs> it's easy to get yeah. lost. It is easy to get lost. So, you know, you listen to guys like Eric Cressy and Lauren and all these guys, they'll tell you that it's, it's simple things done well. So pick what works and get really good That's at that. That's a great conclusion, yeah. I feel. Yeah. And uh, if, if you want to just bypass the shit on social media, just go check out Mia. Check me out on, on uh, Instagram. I'm not too like uh, social media savvy, yeah. so um, don't take that as a lack of interest on my part. But please shoot Instagram, me. Instagram, yeah. Yeah, shoot me. Um, shoot me an email at m.awny at hotmail.com, or just hit me up on Instagram, and I'll be more than happy to answer questions and help out however I can. Appreciate appreciate uh, you guys having me, and I had a lot Man, of fun. Man, it's awesome, bro. Yeah, Cheers. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thank you to our sponsors for supporting Season 2 of Fighters Performance Podcast. Check out Bondi Beat Co. and get your 15% up on checkout without any code. A big thanks goes out to the Wellness Guide Sydney for their constant support. Check out their website for your copy. Tune in to listen to future episodes of Fighters Performance Podcast. <laughs>